Hello friends, future friends, haters, and ex-lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Crimes of the Heart. I am your host, Rory Uphold, and today we have a truly cringeworthy crime. But thankfully, my guest host is here to dive into the nitty gritty of what this case is all about. Today, I am joined by a special guest. She is an actress, a producer, a host and co-creator of the hit podcast, Drama Queens. She's a business owner, an entrepreneur, an activist, a wife, and my personal favorite, a friend. Please welcome none other than Sophia Bush Hughes to Crimes of the Heart. Your face has me worried. It does? Yeah. Like, what am I about to listen to? A fun little story about modern love. A quick disclaimer. Our episodes deal with serious incidents and triggering subject matter. If you feel like at any time you need support, please do not hesitate to grab a cocktail, share this with a friend, or contact us with your own stories. We are here to listen and liberate. Contact information can be found in the show notes. The names in the following episode have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. As I'm walking to the elevator, the nurse who I checked in with on the way out goes, how'd it go? And I said, it didn't. And I hit the elevator button and I went to my car and I cried. And I said, this is as bad as it gets. This is my rock bottom. This is Heather, a 25-year-old marketing exec who found herself the victim of a cringe-worthy crime. This is a story about a girl who thought that she had finally met Mr. Wright in a city known for creating some of the most popular meet-cutes of all time. (laughs) That city is Hollywood, California, and the year is 2013. Little did Heather realize, but her movie montage was about to skew more horror and less rom-com. I can tell this is going to be horrible. Really? Yeah, I'm already so, so uncomfortable. (sighs) Okay. It'll be okay. All right. I feel bad for her. I don't even know what happened yet. We meet Heather at a high point. Heather was newly single and enjoying herself. I was living as close to what I could consider my best life as possible. I was getting, us kids used to say, a lot of play. Despite the fact that Heather was not lacking in the dates department, she did have her eye on one guy in particular, Kevin. He's cute, he's funny, he's got a great job. I was it. Plus, they had a mutual friend, so... It also felt relatively safe. He probably has no STDs because my mutual friend would have told me. It just seemed like a perfect situation for me. Heather and Kevin had crossed paths several times and there was already chemistry. They'd never exchanged info, but... Our mutual friend told me that he was interested in me. So when that friend invited Heather to a party... I knew this guy was going to be there, so I went. It's the night of the party, and Heather spots Kevin from across the room. I walk over, trying to be sexy. I sidle up next to him, and he, like, leans up against, like, a bookshelf. It was all, it just felt very sexy. We had such physical chemistry, I wanted to drag him into a bathroom. She doesn't. Instead, Kevin gets her number and asks her out on a date. Kevin picks me up. He's a perfect gentleman. We go to dinner. And it's pretty romantic. He's driving Heather home to her apartment when Heather starts to think about what happens next. 
And I think I like Kevin almost too much to invite him upstairs. Plus, their mutual friend Marvin had asked them both to take it slow. Marvin was a little nervous that two of his good friends were going out. And he kind of said, like, what if this doesn't work? Will you guys be cool? And we were both like, yes, we're adults. We'll be totally fine. So Heather stuck to her vow of abstinence, but not before they had a very hot and heavy makeout session in the car. We make out in his car. We roll around. I'm sure there was a lot of like dry humping and heavy petting and all the things that you do with your clothes on. Actually, I do think my shirt came off. Heather gets out of the car and Kevin tells her he cannot wait to see her again. She all but floats back to her apartment. I walk into my shitty apartment I had as a 20-year-old in, you know, at the base of Runyon Canyon. And I came in and I told my roommate that I had the best night. I actually think that Kevin really could be a person in my life. At this point, Heather thinks Kevin might be boyfriend material. So she goes to bed, eager to hear from him. The next day, I wake up and I am convinced that I'm going to wake up to a text message from Kevin saying, I had the best night. I woke up to no text from Kevin. I woke up the next day thinking, two days later, I'm going to hear from Kevin today. Nothing. And around day three, Heather started to spiral. And by a week, I was like, fuck Kevin. Like, this guy (laughs) sucks. And how could you have my nipple in your mouth and then never talk to me again? It doesn't make any sense. We had such a great time. None of it made sense. She wanted to reach out. She wanted to send a passive-aggressive text to their mutual friend. But... Heather did none of these things. She simply waited. Two weeks go by with no word from Kevin. Heather had been ghosted. I feel like I would lose my mind. If a mutual friend set me up with somebody and then he ghosted me after two weeks, I would Uh, would be pissed. I'm also like the willpower to not just reach out and ask a question. I know. This woman. She was like ice cold. Yeah. I admire that because I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at that, but I would have probably made it like three days. I'm a communicator. I couldn't. Okay, I I need to know more. I need to know more. And then I get a phone call from Marvin. His tone is somber, and he asks if she's heard what happened to Kevin. First, had a sense of joy, like something did happen to Kevin, which explains why I never heard from him, even though my, my response should have been, oh, God, is he okay? But I think I smiled when I said, no, what? Kevin had been playing lacrosse when he was unexpectedly hit on the back of the neck. He had been rushed to the ER where he had to have emergency spine surgery. Kevin was currently in a coma in the ICU, about to have another surgery that would determine if he would ever walk again. I'm slightly relieved that he wasn't ghosting me, but of course I'm horrified that Kevin might never walk again. I can't believe it. By the way, it's stories like this that make me feel like anytime somebody does ghost me, that they're just in the ER. Well, (laughs) also, you just realize that you create your own reality and you can find proof to fit any story you're telling yourself. She's telling herself that this guy's a total asshole, that he ghosted her, that he doesn't care about anyone because obviously they share a mutual best friend and how could you behave that way? And he's in the hospital. Maybe not going to walk again. Oh, my God. Wild. Having his neck operated on. So who plays lacrosse? Another week goes by, and then Heather's phone rings. But this time, it's Kevin. 
I immediately answer and I'm like, oh my God, like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. I was like, Kevin, I'm, I'm horrified. I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? And he's like, would you come visit me? Heather is thrilled. Like, you don't invite a woman to the hospital unless you truly feel something for her. It begins to dawn on Heather that their date must have meant a lot to Kevin and that this was probably the beginning of their story as a couple. I rearrange my whole schedule and I go to the hospital. Heather shows up to the hospital, in her words, looking fire. She waltzes up to the front desk in a cute dress with a tiny cactus and checks in. And I say, hi, I'm here to see Kevin. And she said, oh, you must be his special friend. Naturally, this catches Heather off guard. And I am just like, wow, Kevin is talking about me to the nurses? This is so nice. As Heather makes her way towards Kevin's room, she notices that several other nurses are watching her and smiling. And one of them stops and goes, are you Kevin's special friend? It's hard not to future trip, but at this point, Heather can't help herself. I am future tripping. Kevin and I, getting married, having children. I know he's from the East Coast. Like, will we split, you know, holidays? And then Heather walks into the room. It's worse than I thought. He is in a legit full body cast. And I gasp. Kevin is lying on a hospital bed with wires all over him. His arms hanging from the ceiling. And everything but his torso is in a cast. After the initial shock wears off, Heather asks Kevin if he's okay and if he needs anything, to which he responds, Actually, yeah, that's why I called you. Followed by, Well, I'm so horny. She figures he's kidding, so Heather tries to play along. And I jokingly said, well, what can I do? Can I give you a hand job?" And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. There's lotion on the table. Heather laughs. Kevin does not. He asked me to give him a hand job within 60 seconds of me walking in the room. The reality of his ask was sobering. Heather tried to pivot. And I go, okay, but I'm like, Kevin, like, it's a hospital. What if somebody walks in? He goes, oh, no, it's okay. I told them I had a special friend coming. And there it was. The ugly truth. Kevin didn't see Heather as girlfriend material. He saw her as the girl to call for sexual favors. And in that moment, Heather had a choice. She could leave or she could lotion up. Every part of me thought, fuck this guy, take your cactus and walk the fuck out of the room. But I did it. Heather pumps some lotion into her hand and begins an impossible task. She did not. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Why? That's a great question. I feel like I would probably do it. What? I know, but I freeze in situations like that. Sometimes I'm like, the, the path of least resistance is just through. The path of least resistance is to walk out the two steps of the door, not walk up to the bed, put down the tiny cactus, get the thing, un disrobe his dick. Like, this takes a lot of effort. Why did she do this? I guess we'll find out. Oh, okay, I need you to press play. Heather pumps some lotion into her hand and begins an impossible task. Giving a handjob in a full body cast is very hard. Anytime she stroked too hard, Kevin's body would move and he would yelp in pain. But that 
wasn't the only problem. He got hard on and off for the duration of 45 minutes. So he would get hard and then he would lose his erection. He would get hard and then lose his erection. Heather was also fighting the steady stream of morphine dripping into Kevin. And I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And he was like, maybe it would help if I could feel your, your boob. With Kevin's arms suspended from the ceiling, Heather had to position her body high enough for his hand to hold her boob while she stretched low enough to reach his dick. And there, under the bright and sterile lights of the hospital, Heather contorted herself like a topless yoga teacher, stroking the limp dick of a man she thought would be her Mr. Right only 20 minutes prior. The whole thing was such a nightmare, and I sat there stroking it for 45 minutes. And after 45 minutes, he goes, you know what? I don't think this is gonna work. But thanks, babe, for coming. Give me a kiss on the cheek and you can head out. Humiliated, Heather gave him a kiss on the cheek, picked up her cactus and walked out of the room. She wanted to get out of there as fast as humanly possible. But as she neared the elevators, the nurse who I checked in with on the way out goes, how'd it go? And I said, it didn't. And I hit the elevator button and I went to my car and I cried. When Kevin thought about all the women he could call to give him a hospital handjob, Heather had been the one he had thought of. She sat in her car, crying over the realization that he had been right. I could have said no and walked out the door, but he asked and I answered. And that was a really hard, hard pill for me to swallow. Thankfully, that was the only thing Heather had to swallow that day. That was the last time Heather ever heard from Kevin but she still shudders anytime she hears the words special friend. I want to hear so much more about that last observation because her being in whatever position she's in today, telling the story, having the self-awareness to look back. I, I just remembered that she said this was when she was 20. In terms okay. of the crime that we witnessed today yeah. with Heather and Kevin, any thoughts on that? I wonder a lot about how Heather was taught to please others, to put others before herself. You know, was was there something for her that said, this person almost died, he's trapped in a hospital bed, we did have this great chemistry. Yeah, what like, if this is my person? Yeah, like I wonder what connected in her brain to make her think either maybe this will work out or... It's really the least I can do. I've told myself, obviously not in this circumstance, but I've told myself both of those things. Yeah. Well, it's the least I can do. Or, you know, this this is real uncomfortable, but this might work out. I could see how if she thought, oh, we have a mutual friend. We had this amazing first date. I thought he was ghosting me, but actually he was in the hospital. He was literally fighting for his life. And then he invites me to come see him. It does sound like a meet cute. It sounds like a movie. It feels like a rom-com. I met this guy who might be the love of my life and then I thought he abandoned me and it turns out he'd almost died and I'm one of the first people he called when he could make a phone call. And then he Oof. tells all of the nurses. Yeah, that he has some girl coming to jerk him off. Oh my God. That is the part that would really get me. Sleeping Beauty Syndrome. That's what I call that. Mm. I feel like Sleeping Beauty Syndrome is the... The rom-coms, the fairy tales, mm -hmm. just this idea that at any moment, Prince Charming might walk around the corner and you'll have your like meet cute moment. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be that moment where shit hits the fan mm -hmm. and then there'll be a grand gesture and then you ride off into the sunset together. Mm -hmm. 
And so I do think certain behaviors were normalized for me that are not very healthy. I was raised to be a good little girl, to be a perfectionist, to exist in a way that wouldn't inconvenience other people. The literal mantra that I was raised with was always let someone else be the problem. Oh my God, isn't that weird that we're friends? Because I feel like I was raised to be the problem. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) But truly, I can look back at times in my life Mm -hmm. and realize that I really thought that part of my job as a human was to make other people happy. Mm. Even if that meant I had to put my own happiness aside or my own well-being aside or make excuses for bad behavior and all of the bullshit added up together to make me a person who really struggled to ever express my needs if they were going to inconvenience another human. So to say no Mm. feels almost impossible. And it has been a huge project of my adult life to begin to learn how can I challenge myself to speak up in the moment and to not minimize my experience when I do? Yeah. I feel like I know a lot of women who aren't comfortable asserting how they feel in the moment. Yeah. That's a huge, continuous journey. Yeah, journey for me. Boundary setting in real time is so hard. It's really hard. Because it requires you to be vulnerable. Well, it also requires you to value yourself enough to say, I'm worth more than this. I deserve better than this. Mm. It's very difficult. How have you gotten better in terms of asserting that? I think something that was really, and still is really helpful for me as a as a sort of mirror Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to figure out a situation is I will literally insert one of you into the story in my place and think if Rory were telling me this story, if Jenny were telling me this story, what would I say? Well, you deserve to stand up for yourself this way. Mm. Say blah, 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 blah to this person. We are so good at setting a real bar for the standards that we believe the people we love deserve to be treated with And for some reason, I think with ourselves, it's much harder to hold that. Yeah. So I think it can be really helpful to begin to think what you would want for the people you love the most. That is so great. I I call that BYOBF, be your own best friend. Mm -hmm. And it's a perspective shift. Yes. Because I feel the same way. Like I'll look at dudes that my friends are dating. I'm like, (laughs) no. Yeah. I'm sorry. Your hair's crooked. The dumbest shit. And I'm like, you're not good enough for my friends. Mm. But then a a literal trash bag with legs could walk over. And I'm like, yeah, I would. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Whether you're single and trying to navigate the challenges that come with finding your person, or you're in a relationship and you're trying to overcome the challenges that come with partnership, it can be really helpful to have someone to talk to about solutions. I think it's so easy to end up in Spiral City, dwelling on a problem. I think a lot of us really get in the habit of focusing on the negative, on what's wrong or what we don't have, but it doesn't have to be that way. And as you've heard on this episode, therapy is a huge game changer in training your brain to be in problem-solving mode. Personally, therapy has helped me vent and release stress. It's helped me identify patterns in my behavior, 
And most importantly, I think it's just helped me get to know myself better, which is obviously important because the most important relationship I have is with myself. I have to be with myself all the time, so I might as well make it an enjoyable experience. Although... To be fair, I do think therapy has also probably made me a better partner. Anyway, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option because one, it's convenient, two, it's affordable, and three, it's entirely online. So you fill out a brief survey and then you'll be matched with a therapist. But therapy is a lot like dating, right? And sometimes just because a person seems perfect on paper, it's not always a fit, IRL. And honestly, I think this is what makes BetterHelp great because you can switch therapists at any time. Clutch. In the past, I have had to reach out to people in my network to get recommendations. Then I've had to make those phone calls and schedule introductory sessions. And it was just a lot of effort. So when the vibe felt off, it felt like it was a waste of time and just a lot of energy. But obviously with BetterHelp, that's not an issue because they make finding a therapist super easy. That's their thing. So yeah, when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com crimes to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crimes. What about therapy? Do you do it? Do you have thoughts on it? Yes, I think... Therapy is a really big deal. Learning to vocalize how you feel, have it be heard and reflected back to you is a really good practice because when you create that practice, you can go out and mimic it in the world. Okay, outside of therapy, can you talk a little bit more about the other things you do? As a human who moves through the world as like a completely raw nerve who is just like so sensitive Mm -hmm. all the time, It's like I need the opposite end of the spectrum to feelings, so I really like science. I've done every kind of thing you can do to understand the human brain and body connection. I read this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. Oof, it's so dense. Like, I'm going to warn y'all, it's dense, but it's really profound because it just made me understand And then I went to an experiential therapy camp called Onsite in Tennessee. You've probably seen all the studies with maps. I went and did like major psychedelic therapy. I've done all of it. And it's been incredibly profound. Hmm, How so? I really do believe that pursuing your mental health in the same way that we've all been taught To pursue love. Well, to pursue love, but also even just physical health. All that money I've invested in my mental gym has been so worth it. And now I'm able to say no to things that do not serve me. All the time. And it feels great. Every time I say no, it's like getting a point in Mario Kart. I hear the like, dee, 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 dee. Like I just feel like I'm collecting little coins and little mushrooms and I love it. Was there ever a moment that made you go like, I've got to change what I'm doing? I remember going on a date with this guy who was fine, but like, honestly, so fucking irritating. (laughs) Like when you really boiled it down, I was like, ugh. And then I blinked and it had been 10 weeks. And I was like, why am I here? I don't even think you're that interesting. You know exactly who it is. And I was just like, I'm out. I am being an agent of the mediocre fucking patriarchy because I'm dating you and I don't even think you're cool. It was such a shift. And from then on, you were just like, I'm just going to casually date. And if I'm not into it, I'm going to just like fail fast and move on. I gave myself a little bit of like dating homework 
in my mid thirties, I was like, I should be able to go on like three dates with someone and then not keep going on dates with them. Three dates doesn't mean I have to date you for two years. This was a genuine thing I needed to sort of unlearn. Where do you think that comes from? Or do you know? Totally. I have been able to trace the root of a complex and a shame about sexuality and womanhood in general. And that's why I was a serial monogamist mm -hmm. from the age of 16 to 35. Like, good God. It's funny. I don't think people realize you were a serial monogamist. One of the things that makes me the angriest is that people like think I've banged dudes that I've never even gone on dates with. And also then I think I should be able to have sex with whoever I want. And then I'm like, oh, but sex is so intimidating to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's all so fucking confusing. I think part of the problem it's confusing is that we do not have a healthy culture around sex. We have this like Madonna whore complex in our country. We pretend sex doesn't happen. I just wish that people were less judgmental about other people's answers. Yeah. Like let people do what they want to do. So on that note, <laughs> when Heather was saying she didn't want to sleep with him on the first night. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? <sighs> I don't know. I think it's really tricky. I definitely think it is a catch-22 in terms of like dating and sex. I've ended up with boyfriends where we had sex on the first night and then I've also waited for people and it never worked out. I want people to have sex whenever they want and feel like it is free and it is great. And I also know I have like wild sex shame. I have never been able to be in a relationship with someone if I didn't see the potential of a future ever. And I think that comes from that whole like sex and gender shame spiral of, well, I can't be intimate with someone if it's not serious, mm. which like gross. That's weird. Why? But it's, your, it's how you were yeah. raised. It's how you were programmed. Well, I get it. Yeah. It can still be gross, but it's also how the majority of people in this country operate. I just wish, I wish I hadn't been so serious about it at times because I probably would have been like, this isn't right. Bye. Way earlier. I don't know. As, as like somebody who's pretty <laughs> slutty, I feel like I also have not figured it out. I feel like I have more people that I've hooked up with and that's been fun, but it's also been more disappointing. Because yeah. of the orgasm gap. The orgasm gap. I know. It's fucked up. I have stayed also in very bad relationships because I was digmatized. <laughs> Truly, because I was like, well, you know what? I would rather come with this idiot than not come with this nice guy. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's bad. But well, uh, you know what? You were just figuring out your priorities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at that time, I was like, listen, I'm going to be a nightmare if I don't come. <laughs> anyway, I think it's such an interesting element of the story that, you know, she didn't want to sleep with the guy because she had mutual friends and she just didn't want that to be a thing. That's more about judgment than not, which is interesting. Yeah. And what makes it even weirder is when you think about that aspect of the story, the fact that they did not sleep together. And then he, he would call her, her to be like, can you make me come in my hospital bed? It's like- In a full body cast. What? Like you guys haven't even done that with each other yet. The audacity, the audacity of men. Oh, it's unbelievable. The audacity and confidence of mediocre men is something I wish we could bottle and huff. <laughs> and huff. You know? What do you, what's your advice for when you feel like you're getting ghosted or somebody feels like they're getting ghosted? <sighs> I've experienced it and I- I, I literally just got ghosted. I literally just got ghosted last week. Oh, motherfucker. I know. Whatever. <laughs> Goodbye. I come from a big Italian family. My my blood is made of like red wine, espresso, and rage half the time. Mm -hmm. And so it makes me so angry. I'm angry for you. I'm angry for Heather at this 
fucking Kevin guy. I also just think once you can zoom out, like the 30,000 foot view is if someone is ghosting you, they are just not your person. That's not a person who deserves you. That's not a person you actually want to be in a relationship with. They are ill-equipped to be a partner. So maybe you're dodging a bullet. I don't love when people Homer Simpson into the bushes, but if that's the way that you do it, like you clearly weren't taught great communication skills. And I don't want that. Yeah. I normally just do one of two things. I let them ghost me or I call it out. I feel like every time I've called it out, I always get a response. It might not be the response I want. Yeah. But it really depends because it depends on how petty I feel. Yeah. I respect that. I think it can be great to call it out because you might learn something um, about, you know, what's going on with someone or you might just get the closure that you want. Something that I think is important to realize is that you don't always know what someone's pushing up against. Sure. It might not even be about you. Oh, I doubt it's about me. Someone might not be ready. There might be something about trying to open up to someone that is like pushing on a real wound. They might be getting back together with their ex and like good for them. They might be in a hospital after an accident. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be laughing, but fuck Kevin. Why do you think dating and finding love is really hard these days? I mean, I don't know how anybody figures this out. I met my husband 12 years ago. And we were just like derp, 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 walking around, knowing each other for nearly a decade. But do you think if you had met Grant like six years ago, it would have worked? Like if we'd ever gone on a date back then? Yeah. No, absolutely not. So yes, timing is also everything. But we live in the Instagram era, the social media era where we're just like refreshing all the time and we expect new content, new things, new that. We expect it now. We are so impatient. I think it can be very hard to be patient for your person. So do you think dating apps are making it harder? I was never on any of the apps. I can't believe you've never been on a dating never. app. Not even Raya? No. I mean, that's good because it is awful. So I'm so sorry. I don't have any like DM tips or whatever. What would you say one of your dating regrets is? I stayed in things because I always heard like relationships are work. And you know, marriage is work. And you've got to work at it. Work, work, work. I hate to be the person speaking in cliches, but when it's right, yes, it's work. You have to cultivate something. Like having a garden But like work is in work. like nine point font, not like 16. Exactly. It's not that much work. It is a willingness to learn to speak the same language. It is a willingness to take apart each other's landmines, but you didn't put them there. And the mantra of my marriage is if we have a problem – we're, we're working in a triangle. It's me and Grant against the problem. Mm. He and I are on the same side of the net. And the problem is on the other side. And before I was in relationships, it was like being two fucking cats in a bag. And we, it was just like hectic nightmares. And it was like, well, everybody says it's work. <laughs> like, that mythology, that kind of old school dating advice has yeah. super fucked me. Uh Yeah. It's kind of like once upon a time I got my wisdom teeth out and everybody told me, oh, dude, that's going to hurt so bad. And it did. And then one day I realized I was hopping Vicodin every 45 minutes and it wasn't doing anything. And I finally went back to the oral surgeon and he was like, dude, you got four dry sockets. How are you surviving? I was like, everybody told me it was bad. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that's happened with dating too, where people are like, oh, it's work. So then I've stayed in things 
And it wasn't until I got in things that were better that I realized like, oh, it's actually not that. Yeah. It can be hard at times, but so much more often than not want to be doing it. Yeah. And, and trust the person you're doing it with. And when you look back and you go like, oh man, one of my past partners, sociopath. Another one, full-blown narcissist. Another one, like wildly codependent to a point that was scary. And you know, I didn't know. I didn't realize that all those red flags weren't like a love parade. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know how bad they were. I didn't know I had dry sockets. Right. It, it takes time to sort of learn what's normal and unlearn these narratives that can make us stay in shit that's really not okay. So changing gears, what about the rejection aspect of dating? It was very transformative for me to hit a point in my life where I thought, you are wonderful. I don't think I'm your person. And that's okay. And it didn't have to be like a seismic disaster. It didn't have to be some huge emotional loss. And that sort of retroactively took a lot of the sting out of the heartbreaks I went through mm. in my life to get to this point, to get to my person. I was like, oh yeah, it just wasn't the thing. All right. Yeah. It didn't have to be like a world ender. As the self-proclaimed queen of rejection, I love that take. I don't feel like you get rejected a lot. I feel like you take the trash out a lot. That was diplomatic. That was a nice PR spin. I mean it. I really do because you don't tolerate a lot of bullshit. And But as, I do go for the stories. I like will take the ride. Oh no, I totally. I mean, you have a great sense of humor, which I, I admire. Let's get into some of our speed round cues. Oh my God. I'm the worst person for a speed round. I'm so long-winded. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've never done a speed round of anything in my life, but I'm going to try. Hey, your favorite killer move. I just think there is something so, oh, the, the hotness and the romance of a first kiss when it's really good is really something. And the, the advice I would give to anyone is to take a second. And this, I think, is a thing that we do on TV a lot, but it's really hot and that's why people do it. When you get right up against someone's face, but you don't kiss them, but you're like close enough to be right in their eyes and like you both feel each other breathing on your face, like that moment, milk that moment and I then like kiss I your person. I feel like I just got, I feel like yeah. I just got warm. No, by the way, your <laughs> cheeks just turned very red because I looked into your eyes while I told you to I do like, that. Whoa. I watched it happen. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, You're I just welcome. got the movie magic treatment. Yep. <laughs> Makes for a great scene on camera and Off better, camera. Yeah. better IRL. IRL. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. a great tip. That's the move I'll share with you all. I love that. Killer date slash date killer. What are your turn ons and turn offs on a date? I like the idea of going somewhere where you can walk. You can be outside. You go see a sunset somewhere. I think there's a real emotional freedom when you're walking with someone and talking because you don't have the pressure of prolonged eye contact, go on a walk somewhere and then wind up sitting mm. because you've you've kind of gotten through the barrier. You're talking forward. Your bodies are moving. It's like the icebreaker. Yeah. You, you, you sort of nix the ability to get locked up. And then once you sit, like you're really vibing. More comfortable. Yeah. You're more comfortable. And then I think That's the conversation awesome. can be really great. Also, that means like you don't have to drink. Yeah. Obviously, I drink, but I guess maybe that's not obvious. But I think it's cool to not rely on alcohol as the staple for dates. Totally agree. I think it's really 
refreshing, especially in in your series of first dates, yeah. like early dates. It's nice to get away from that because then it's also fun when you see somebody get a little loose. Like yeah, totally. you go out and you have two whiskeys and you're like, oh my God, you're fun drunk. You know, it, that's nice to know and not just think that's the baseline. It's also like if I have too many drinks and the bar is too dark, I'm going to wake up next oh. to Shrek. Well, I was about to be like, if I've had too many drinks and the bar is dark, I'm going to bed. <laughs> like, I took a nap at a rave once. A date killer for me? Ugh. If someone drives like an asshole, makes me crazy. Me too. If someone is rude to the waiter, the bartender, anyone who's working in food service, if you are dismissive of those people, it's it's over for me. Yeah. It's as bad. I mean, it's actually worse. Then the last one on my list is name dropping. Oof. That's a very niche LA, but that's peak LA. It's like, but it's peak LA. It's peak like Silicon Valley. Oh. It's peak New York. It's even a thing in Chicago. Like anywhere that there is an industry, mm. whether it's finance, tech, Hollywood, whatever. I'm just like, I don't care. What is your weapon of choice? What's one thing that you're working on to improve in your relationships. I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but admitting how I feel, not being the like power through person is a big deal. It's really unlearning that like that be a good girl, leave your baggage at the door and communicating my needs and feelings in real time. Mm. Saying that made me kind of uncomfortable or what did you mean by that? Cuz like my weird anxious brain thinks it means you hate me or like whatever it is. And it's been really special learning that, you know, your needs or quirks or whatever you want to call them don't make people lean back. They make people lean toward. Protection. Mm. What is your self-love practice or what do you do to help protect yourself or bounce back from the cringy hospital hand job moments of your life? Oh, it just makes, it's like a gut punch every time you say that. I'm so upset for her. <laughs> Therapy is a big one. Mm-hmm. That is an act of self-love for sure. And I've found coaching to be incredibly helpful because it's like therapy with homework mm. and goals. <laughs> it's not just the talking. And one of the things that I've really worked on is putting things into actual perspective because an offense can be the size of a football, but the longer you stew on it, don't talk about it, it becomes like... It like becomes it, the football field. Yeah, yeah. And even if something has hurt me, that's a mistake. That's not who someone is. They deserve a chance to be more than a mistake, just like I do. Mm-hmm. I am more than the worst mistake I've ever made. And so is everybody else. So I interestingly am able to at the same time be much more firm about my boundaries and I'm gentler with others and with myself than I've ever been before in my life I feel like that's huge yeah giving yourself grace and and that level of self-love when the when your self-love extends to the people around you I feel Mm -hmm. like that's kind of when you've really nailed it yeah and it's weird I know I know how much I feel the shift, how much I feel this weight off my shoulders. And it's a weight I've been carrying since I was a teenager. And like, I have felt it change as I've really, in the last couple of years especially, been deep in all this work. And what's wild to me is that 
people I know and people I don't are like, you look different. Hmm. You look lighter. Like you're glowing. You're this. What are, you know, what's going on? And I realize people can see it. I look back at pictures of myself from when I was 33 or 34. I look 10 years older than I look now. Killer advice. I referenced it earlier, but babe, a pathway of red flags is not a parade. Turn around, avoid. I'm like, bye. No, it's just not. It's not. That is not a celebration. That is that is a series of warnings. Okay, last question. What is your advice for singles who are on these crime-filled streets? It's probably really annoying to have your newly married friend be like, well, what I think about being single is. But my honest opinion is genuinely stop trying to rush it. You have to be the one for you before someone else can be, honestly. I think you have to just be patient with yourself. And I think if you if you do the work on you, you can use up some of that anxious energy about time. And before you know it, it'll be time. And there's such evidence to that in, in my relationship with Grant. We met when we were 30 years old. Like we've known each other all this time and we never saw each other like that. And time really is everything. And the right person is so worth the wait. Like the gratitude that I have that I did not settle down with any of the people I dated before Grant, who probably are very grateful they didn't settle down with me either. That is a two-way street. Like I'm not trying to throw any shade. It wasn't right. I'll throw the shade. <laughs> I mean, my friends will do it for me. And <laughs> I like, really appreciate you, you for that. You mean the clowns over we, at the circus? Uh-huh. But, but truly, when you put stress of like rushing, where's my person? It pressurizes things. And, and being under pressure is not a way to build a great relationship. And I've done that. I've had that done to me. I'm sure we all have. It's not great. Do you think that's how you're going to find your person? No. No, probably not. And when I think about the things I pressurized in my past, trying to have the answer, trying to know, like, is this it? I could have had so much more fun. I probably would have kissed like at least a handful of people who were so cute and I didn't. And like, I should have. Like, come on. That's the worst. (laughs) Like, come on. I love that. Mostly because I'm single. I mean, might be tomorrow, really. Who knows? <laughs> so if people want more of you, how do they find you? Guys, I'm around. For our friends who love to listen to podcasts, my show, Work in Progress, will be back for season three soon. My other podcast is always on. Drama Queens is a rewatch party feminist reclamation of Winfrey Hill uh, that myself and Hillary and Joy do together. And God, we have so much fun and we talk a lot of shit and we laugh a lot and sometimes we cry. It's all the feelings wrapped up into a neat little hour once a week. And my socials are at Sophia Bush. I never came up with like a cute, ironic, like, you know, loves crackers, like Instagram handle. I never did that. It's just my name. I, I don't know why I'm thinking about it. I do just- Is that I, because mine's I could be blunter? Is that what no, made you think No, I just or? like, I think about it all the time. So many people have these cute, like funny handles that are indicative of their, you know, inside jokes or whatever. And I'm like, mine, I didn't do that. 
Yours is just your name. Mine's just my name. But at least people can find you. Yeah, they can find me pretty easily. Thank you for yeah. on the podcast. This has been really fun. Yeah. Hey guys, if you have a question that you would like to submit or you have a story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. And remember, everything is 100% anonymous. And if you like this episode, please consider liking and leaving a review. They really do help. Thanks again for listening and see you next Tuesday. Oh,